good evening and welcome to week seven of the Slogging It podcast. I am John O'Gordon, as always, joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Simon Roberts and Eugene Berger. We will talk to them shortly. Um, tonight uh, or today, it will be released on a Thursday morning, Christmas Eve morning, uh, this the seventh podcast, uh, hence why we're all wearing our Christmas jumpers for those of you on YouTube. Um, and uh, it's a great pleasure to have you with us again. Uh, today, we will be talking to one of England's greatest ever swing bowlers, uh, Matthew Hoggard, not only about his career, but what he's doing now, uh, and also some some issues that he was very honest about when talking to us uh, about stuff that he went through whilst uh, touring with England. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, lads, how are we? Uh, Eugene, I'll come to you first this week. You all, all well, mate? Very well. I've had a haircut, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube. I am very, very short. Yes. What about your hair? Uh, <laughs> hey! hey. <laughs> uh, Robbo, how are you doing, kid? Yeah, I've also had a haircut. It looks like the sides have been done very similar to Eugene, but the top <laughs> is very different. Robbo, I, I used to, to have hair. Yeah, I, as I said to you earlier on off air, I, and I, I thought it was funny, so I'm going to say it again. Um, you do look like you could have been in Blazing Squad, but for those people of an age who remember Blazing Squad, Stone Island jackets and talking I'm about flip reversing Squad. and so on and so forth. Uh, <laughs> so there we go. Right, quickly moving on before Rob can answer <laughs> me back. Um, as always, we must say thank you, great thank you to our partners, Big Smoke Brewery. Um, I um uh, I, I've decided not to have a drink tonight. The the, the two other lads are, but uh, knowing that with Christmas Day around the corner uh, today, where it's the twenty second today, so I'm just taking it a little bit easy uh, before the Christmas madness, shall we say? But thank you to them as always. Um, now this week in cricket, something obviously we we cover off. A fair bit happened. Uh, India thirty six all out. What a debacle! I uh, don't think there's any other words that can be used to describe it. I mean, shambles is close, but um, 36. I did see a very, very funny thing on uh, one of my friends, an Australian friend on Facebook, put uh, the lowest scores at the Adelaide Oval, and every one of them, other than India's 36, was an Aussie rules football team that got battered <laughs> by the Aussie rules football team. It is that plays amazing. the Adelaide Oval. Sorry to anyone who's listening in Australia. I know nothing about Australian rules football other than it's no. brute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd let Robbo have a go. I thought I'd let Robbo have a go there first because it's um it's one for the bowlers, I guess. You know, the, the bowlers really stepped up. Um, I did um I did watch that innings, albeit it was really short. I mean, Hazelwood's five for eight was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'll yeah, be honest, I, I I didn't think the ball was doing that much, but doesn't need to. I think if it was doing any more, they wouldn't have got the Knicks. So it was it was great to watch. I saw something um, cut on Instagram, I think, and they were talking about, I think, where there was something like 198 for three before Coley's run out, and then they were 16 for 97 or something post Coley's run out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, look, it's obviously not all down to that. The Aussie lads obviously bowled incredibly well. Uh, Cummins and Hazelwood, as we all know, uh, having watched as much cricket as we have, are two fantastic bowlers. Another thing that I saw about the top five bowlers in the world is Jimmy's not in it. Broadie's in it, but Jimmy's nowhere to be seen, which he surprised me. Get, he didn't get loads of wickets in the summer, though, did he? He did okay, but he didn't get loads yeah. of wickets. So I just and, think he should be in it forever. 
<laughs> yeah, just because well, just what, just because you've your been around for so long. Marshall, Curly Ambrose, Glenn McGrath. Well, yeah, yeah. No, well not, none of those three. None of those three are English, so um, <laughs> irrelevant. Sorry, um, we, we've managed to get someone to be the best in the world at what they do, so therefore they must be on record forever. Rule Britannia and everything else that goes with it. Yeah. Um, in, uh, the one thing I will say is when I watched the first two innings of this day-night test, I was going to start a debate with you. I was thinking this week, what can we talk about? And this thing, everyone was even talking about day-night test cricket. And I thought the first two innings, for me, what the, they'd done with the wicket was prepare it so it was dry, so they didn't have the stuff at the end of the session, the end of the pl- day's play, when the dew comes down and it starts to seem about. And what that did was brought the spinners into it. You saw Nathan Lyon bowling really well and, and, and spinning the ball on day one. And then you saw uh, Ravi Ashwin bowling really well, taking wickets on early day two. But then I kind of, so I was thinking, this has got to be good for test cricket. Every, you've got people pushing for four-day cricket. All of a sudden, you're getting scores between 280 and 350, which keeps both sides in the game. And then India batted again. And yeah. Well, did they Everything, really? Well, they tried. <laughs> they padded, they padded up and went to the middle again for for, yeah. for brief episodes. All all of them. Um, I mean, thirty six. Who talks? Thirty six is bad. It's, it's awful. Yeah. Did, I mean, did you see the, the tweet from Rohit Sharma? I don't know if you boys saw that. It's one of the best no. tweets that I've ever seen. So way back when Australia were playing against South Africa, uh, the Aussies were twenty eight for eight, and he tweeted. Wow, that 36, that lowest score is really looking in trouble here. And obviously, this was years ago. He tweeted it. It is, it is doing the rounds on the internet now. It is just doing the rounds as to, you know, makes you, makes you wonder, be careful what you post on the, on the internet because it will come out. It will come back to bite you in the ass. I was just, it was a conversation we were going to have. I was wanted to have with you guys about this four day cricket, day night cricket being the way forward. It's obviously going to get the track more people in. Or it should do. Um, over here, it's going to be a struggle to do because of the way that the dew falls and stuff like that. And I, I just thought, is it something that was we're moving in that direction? They seem to find a pink ball. And uh, listening to Warney on commentary, he got the eighty-over pink ball from the India warm-up game and was showing it around. And it still it looked in the same nick as a red ball would after thirty-five minutes. And it was still shining, it was still swinging, and it was still doing all that. And you're like standing there thinking, hang on a minute, have we finally found something here that means the batters and the bowlers, it, it becomes a test again, it becomes a challenge. And then Hazelwood and Cummins started, Hazelwood and Cummins started bowling, and you were like, Ugh. but to be fair, India were waffle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's... Um, yeah, I I I quite like to revisit that conversation. Uh, I don't we we haven't got the the, the bandwidth or the time for it tonight. But um, yeah, I think I think that the, the pink ball um, conversation is one that certainly should be had. Uh, Jacques Callis has been named as the England batting coach for the upcoming Sri Lanka series. Uh, probably not many finer batters in the history of world cricket, you'd say. I, I mean, genuine all rounder, but. You know, he, 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 number three, who just churned him out, right? I, he, he, to learn, have the opportunity to learn from him would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, 
one of the one of the best all rounders, best batters. You know, somebody that's scored as many runs, taken as many wickets, grabbed as many catches with his with his buckets is is definitely somebody that you want to want to have in your side. And yeah, it's an interesting debate because he was the batting consultant for South Africa, and he's now being asked if he can be the batting consultant for um, England. And it was interesting. I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday as to you know where's his allegiance, and I went, well, this is a job. What do you mean? Where's your allegiance? Yeah, exactly, if you get yeah. a better offer from yeah. somewhere else, you're obviously going to go and do something. And if you're earning, yeah. you know, twenty rand versus twenty pounds, obviously you're going to you're going to take the better one. So, yeah, from my perspective, it's it's great to see. But I suppose the one thing I you know just wanted to point out is: Have you seen the amount of coaches that England are taking to Sri Lanka? No, nope. I don't know if you've seen this. So, you got Chris Silverwood, head coach; Paul Collingwood, assistant coach; James Foster, wicketkeeper, coach. Carl Hopkinson, fielding Hopkinson, coach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, batting coach, Jacques Cullis. Bowling coach, John Lewis, Vaseem. Spinning coach, Jeetan Patel. You can make an 11 yeah. out of that, just about. It's a freaking good sign as well. <laughs> exactly. I'm having a warm-up game. <laughs> we could play, play coaches against staff. We'd get battered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, fair. Yeah. It seems to be the thing, though. They've all got massive entourages these days, haven't they? Like, you know, whether that's they feel like that's going to aid their preparation. Look, I suppose that their argument would be, well, we can afford it. I don't know how they can afford it, considering how much money the ECB may have, uh, have been telling us that they've, they've lost out on this year, 120 million or whatever else that they, they reckon they've lost. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm impressed by the, the Callis um, selection, as it were. I, you know, what, what a player. Uh, and, you know, He's not been that long out of the game. He was still playing franchise C20 up until probably three or four years back through Knight Riders. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, and he'll still have, you know, fiercely competitive spirit and what have you. Um, and so, yeah, look, looking forward to seeing that. Um, you know, hope, only, try and help that, that kind of top three bed in. My only thing is, and it's a debate that we can have again, one for the future, Two things. Uh, did you watch the cricket podcast podcasting on Sky? They had Steve War on, and when he joined yeah. the um, Australian coaching staff, whatever it was, this time last year, um, he was the 18th member of coaching staff, and they had 16 players, um, which he would found astounding. When he first started playing, there was Alan Border as captain. You have one bloke booking hotels, and you have had a physio that might rock up. Um, but I think the thing for me about these guys and these batting consultants, bowling consultants, whatever they are, I mean, we all know most cricketers do coaching badges and whatever is. I, I don't, has he, has he got a track record? I know he's an amazing cricketer. For me, he's in the top two cricketers ever of all time. Um, him and Gary Sobers. I I can't see anyone else that fits in anywhere close to that as all-round cricketers. People might say Don Bradman, he for me is third because he averaged something that no one else has ever averaged. Um, to average less than 30 with a ball, more than 50 with a bat, and grab 200 snags at slip. Yeah, you can't really argue. You're doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Cricketers of all time. Yeah. Um, but is he any good as a coach? Yes, oh, we don't know, do we? No, I know. And that's, it, while it's amazing, and you can say that someone to sit and learn from that is incredible. I can remember someone talking about Adam Gilchrist coming on and uh, running a coaching session, and he was assistant to someone. And this is not saying Adam Gilchrist has not developed into a good coach or whether what he does is whatever. But if someone asked him how, how he did something, 
and he didn't know. He was that talented. He just did it. And mm. so is Jack Callis, don't get me wrong, he will be able to talk about what he did and everything else, which might be all that they ask him to be there for. But is he able to input that into players and how they can approach it, change that? I don't know. And and it's, an, it's a question. It's not a me saying, I don't think Jack Callis is not good enough. It's a... If it wasn't him, it would be someone else, though. Like they will have a batting coach wherever they go. Like I, I, you'd be far fetched, I think, to, to pick someone better than Jacques Callis. Like he's, you, be, you, you, you can't judge a coach. You can't. You couldn't pick at the minute a better batter. You could as a coach because one's not alive. That's quite simple. You, if if you were to go, who's the best batter? You couldn't pick one because yeah. there isn't a batter better than him. But your alive. point is that that, that Can he great coach? players don't always make great coaches. Yeah, no, no I get that. I get that. I, I suppose um, my. But yeah, my it, my only thought on it is is that he was one of the most mentally strong batsmen that you will ever see play the game. His technique was good, yes, but mentally on a cricket field, he was one of those guys. I mean, I think he only scored one double hundred, and that was one to get off the back as an example. Um, but from my perspective, maybe you know, you're not going to influence somebody's batting technique in a two-test series. I think it's a two-test series that England are playing against Sri Lanka. Yeah, yeah. It's more the mental side, in my opinion, and I think that's why he's been drafted in. It's for the mental side instead of the technique or and again you know maybe this is a, a prequel because i think the batting coach gets announced full-time on the 10th of um january so maybe this is a let's see how he does in the in the, in the environment and then maybe he gets appointed full-time who knows south africa versus sri lanka uh you i know you're disappointed that it's um the christmas boxing day test is no longer in durban it's now at um centurion, centurion. yep uh, another phenomenal ground, but I know it's, it's almost like the MCG host Boxing Day test in Australia. It was always Durban and Kingsmead had the one at Boxing Day in South Africa, but that's changed. Something to do with the weather, I think. Yeah, it rains all the time when you're out there. I just remember as a kid, I used to travel, um, you know, it was a common thing in South Africa. Everyone used to go to the coast for, for holidays. And I used to love going to the Boxing Day tests. Um, you know, I'd probably go two or three days, you know, an hour's drive down the, the south coast in, I don't know, Margate, Uvonga, wherever you were. Um, yeah, and then you go and watch the the, the test, which was which is always great fun. But yeah, that that's no longer. So now it's um, now it's in Centurion, which is which is just as good, but yeah. better weather. Uh, I my personal prediction is that South Africa will absolutely dominate Sri Lanka in in that test series. Um, Australia versus India, obviously the second test at the MCG will start on Boxing Day. Uh, an amazing occasion. I've never been. It's absolutely on my bucket list of something to do and achieve to to get out there for that. Um, and obviously, no Coley, he's going home because his wife's having a baby, so that's obviously not going to help uh, the Indian cause too much. A, a, he's their best player. B, he's their absolute leader. Um, you know, I don't think there's anybody that's probably as strong a leader outwardly, you know, just watching cricket. Like, he lives and breathes everything that the Indian cricket team do. Um, I think he goes a bit over the top sometimes with some of his celebrations of wickets and stuff, but you can't argue with the fact that. He, he is like, absolutely encapsulated in everything that is going on when it, every second that he's on a cricket pitch. Um, before we go into the interview with Hoggy, uh, or Oggy, um, as we as we learn, um, I must mention the Lord Summon is obviously our charity partner. Uh, very proud to, to be associated with them as closely as we are. Uh, that text number for those £3 donations that you can make, provided you are at least 16 years old and have the bill pays permission, is 70331. Uh, thank you to everybody who has donated 
so far you're making a massive difference uh, not only to the tabs but the work that they try to do after what's been an incredibly difficult year for uh, a lot of charities um throughout covid and what have you so thank you very much for your support uh, on on their behalf um and yeah for those of you that haven't please do uh, please go onto their website and learn more about the lord's taverners uh, organization and what it is they do um and after a note from them you will the next voice that you will be hearing is from uh, one matthew hoggard the lord's taverners is the uk's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity we break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people and, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. So, uh, you just heard from our wonderful charity partners, the Lost News, and uh, thank you to all of those who have bid on, uh, well, we welcome today's guest, Matthew Hoggard. Um, Hoggy, you've, had a, you've offered a three-course cooking experience for the Lord's Taverners uh, for people to bid on. I think that closes uh, closed on the 15th, which is today, obviously, which is what, one of the reasons um, why we're talking to you. But first of all, welcome to Slogging It. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. I know you know Eugene. Well, we've met a couple of times over a, a couple of beers. Um, how's, how's things where you are in, uh, in Leicestershire? Yeah, hello. Um, things are sunny, as you can see from the glare in my face, which is a nice change for it absolutely paying it down. Um, but first of all, big, big shout out to the sponsors, Big Smoke. Um, we do have to have a, a little drink. It's, it's um, compulsory, compulsory drink. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Most definitely is. Yeah, it's very nice, is that stuff. Um, but yeah, lockdown's been tricky this year. Um, not being able to see people has been a bonus. Let's not let's not go that far. Um, I, I don't like people. Um, it's nice being locked away in my cave, but it would be nice occasionally to come out of the hoggy cave to to see people and to get people, as you say, at the grill. Um, but it's it's been tricky. Been homeschooling, learned a lot, um, passing on my immense knowledge of science and maths. Staying well away from English and languages because I am absolutely poo and pants at them. Um, so, yeah, so my wife and I have been dovetailing well. What have you got today, English? Excellent. That's me off the hook. See you later. Um, and science and maths, I'm all over it. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting year. And I'm looking forward to seeing 2021, to be fair. Yeah, very much so. I, th I think everybody is. Um, I, I'm, I'm very, very keen to get down to the grill. Obviously, we're going to hopefully do a few bits with some corporate partners, uh, get them up to the grill on the on the courses and stuff. Uh, people should really check out Hoggy's website and um, doing some amazing stuff. We'll come on to that a little bit more later on so Matthew can explain a bit more about that. Um, people think your nickname is Hoggy, but actually it's Oggy. Can you explain how that came about? <sighs> Oh, it's all about where you come from, really. Um, obviously, from Yorkshire, we don't, we don't like pronouncing things. We quite we quite, we miss H's off. Um, so, if you if you're my name Hoggard to Hoggy, and then you drop off the the H because we don't pronounce H's in Yorkshire, it's Hoggy. Um, <clears throat> I can remember 
we, we got to say these as well. So we we got in, well, we, I got into a, a taxi. The first year I was down at Leicester, I got into the taxi and I was going to a public house in a place called Tilton on the hill. And I jumped into the taxi and went, I'm off to the pub in Tilton on Till. Then, huh? I said, off to the pub in Tilton on Till. Huh? Huh? I said, sorry, what is going to the public house on Tilton on the hill? <laughs> Brilliant. I could just, I, I've just got a boycott uh, he, he, the sound of his voice saying, I'll geek. Right. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> That's not doing too well, is it, eh? Not to be like me. I was good. I was. <laughs> <laughs> we wish him well, old Jeffers. I hope he's uh, his health improving. I don't know. I probably don't stay in touch with him so much. But do you know how he's getting on, Hoggy? Um, no, not really. Um, hopefully, he's sunning himself in South Africa and keeping himself well and safe. So, Hoggy uh, or Oggy, that's a new one for me today. Um, you started your career at Pudsey Kongs. But there, we both know that there are two sides in Pudsey. One. You will claim only one. One, my, one. Our mutual great friend, Paul Hutchinson, who you played with at Yorkshire, we, would care to disagree. He's moved on from St. Lawrence now, but, you know. Yeah, he, he, he follows the money. He's a bit of a tart, is that lad? Um, and it's Hutchinson and not Hutchinson. There's no end in the yep. Hutchinson. Uh, nope. So, uh, left arm swinger. Um but yeah, we grew up in a, a great era, and a great, so we, I had James Middlebrook in, um, in my team as well, which is the same yeah. age. So we're all in the same same year. There was myself, James Middlebrook, um, Gareth Clough, who played a bit for Yorkshire and not, and um, Paul Hutchison that went to two different schools. So we were Pudsey Grangefield, Pudsey Crawshaw, and Kongs and St Lawrence at the same time. So we had quite a bit of rivalry going on in the in the local leagues. Some decent, some decent bowling stats. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure as you as you were growing up. I mean, you had a real quick rise. Like started in the threes, then in the ones, and then within two years, you're playing county cricket. Yeah, it was huge. Um, really, really quick. Um, thanks, thanks a lot to um, a man called Phil Carrick, who came to captain Pudsey, um, and then sent me over to South Africa. I spent six months in um, in Joburg. Um, playing for a team called the um, Greenside Rats, and and they were an awesome, awesome team. I opened the um, the bowling with somebody called um, Stephen Jack, who um, oh there goes a the <laughs> oh there goes shush shush. <laughs> so we've just got foxes and badgers running around the back of our house, and the dogs are going crazy. Um, but yeah, I got sent to um, South Africa, and we had Stephen Jack who opened the bowling with me. Um, I had um, Stefan Jacobs who also played for for Transvaal at the time. We had Paul Smith who played for Transvaal. We had um, uh, Mark Rushmere that played for Transvaal. We had four or five. Oh, we had um, XT. Um, Neil Fusedale, we had a fantastic, awesome people. And I was there as an 18-year-old, um, allegedly overseas player, um, having to 
to swim fairly quickly because I was so far out of my water depth, it was unbelievable. But it was a, a really fast learning curve. It was the play cricket half and well in South Africa, and I came on so quickly, not just as a cricketer, but as a human being, being in the murder capital of South Africa, having to look after myself, coaching at Rosebank <laughs> Primary. Uh, it was... <clears throat> It was a fantastic part of my life, and um, I owe a lot to the the pirates in in, in my part in their progression to to get where I got to. And that obviously probably started uh, or sowed the seed, let's say, for something that is obviously so close to your to your heart now in terms of the grill and stuff. But obviously, we'll come to to that a little bit later on. Um, you you went on celebrity MasterChef twenty thirteen. Obviously, did very well, uh, and now you've got the grill. But we've got to start with your cricket career. Like, I mean, how did you get into it? I mean, obviously, before joining Pudsey Kongs, you must have you must have played a bit more as a junior, right? Yeah. So I went to a, a, a school called Pudsey Grangefield, and my choice of sport at Grangefield was football, 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 or football. And right. I wasn't a massive football fan, but. I played football for school because I wanted to play sport. I was very sporty as a youngster, so I played I played football for school. Um, and in the winter, I wanted to play rugby. So okay. I, I played for, for Pudsey Rugby League. Um, so I went to Pudsey Amateurs um, and played rugby league in the winter. And then in the summer, I wanted to play cricket. And right. that, that was – the Pudsey Kongs was walkable from my house. It was behind the White Horse and the Britannia where I played rugby. So it was a it was a natural progression to go to Pudsey Kongs. And I went um, under-11s and played, right. played Gordon Bowers um, for Pudsey Kongs. And it was a case of every time I pissed my mum off, she sent me away to the cricket club to train. So right. <laughs> I spent a lot of time at the cricket club. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it was just a, a progression of winter was rugby, summer was cricket, and I played. I was I was okay at rugby, um, and I was not as good as I was uh, at rugby as I was at cricket. And I I always I could always swing it. I didn't have to be taught to swing it. It all it just came very naturally. And I can remember spending maybe a weekend with my dad. The first time I ever tried to bowl, I couldn't stop hopping. It was quite right. a, quite a strange concept for me for taking off on the left leg and landing on the right leg. I've been doing it for ten years, but to, to when it comes to bowling, to jump off a left right, I couldn't do it. I used to do left left right. right. I, I just couldn't get it. And it spent I spent a weekend in the back garden just getting the the action of hopping off a left foot, landing on a right foot. Doesn't sound that difficult, but it was for me. Um, but it was a part of my. Um, my determination and my personality, really, that I wouldn't let it beat me. So it took right. a long time to, to be able to do it. But once I got it, um, it was then, right, OK, I've got that. Now what's the next bit in the in the equation? Huge. Absolutely, yeah. I suppose, Poggy, just looking at your at your career, and obviously you were at Yorkshire for, you know, a good a good 15 years from, what was it, 2006 to 2000, uh, sorry, 1996 to 2009. However, I'm really interested in in two years specifically, that being uh, the two years that you spent at the Free State. Because when I was still living yeah. in South Africa at the time, I um, I was watching a lot of the, the the competitions that were going on locally. And that's when I saw you for the first time, um, you know, 
this this English lad that had come over and was playing for the uh, for the for the Orange Free State. And yeah, tell us a little bit how you got there. I mean, you mentioned that you were in South Africa, you know, <laughs> earlier, but what happened? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was uh, quite... so I, I played for Pirates for two years, and that had no bearing on me playing for Free State. Um, I was playing bits and bats for Yorkshire at the time, but I wasn't a I think I'd played maybe two games for Yorkshire, um, and I just got injured the year in the 97, was it 98? 98, when um, South Africa came over. And Andrew Caddick bowled, bowled you out on the last day, and South Africa lost the Test Series at Heading. Yep. And England went out celebrating, South Africa went out commiserating, and <laughs> the, the coaching staff pulled a naughty boy net session on South Africa the next morning. So they were then practicing for white ball cricket. And we had a groundsman that didn't want the nets at Headingley. So we had a green mamba of a pitch. Um, we had batsmen that had been out the night before with blurry eyes opening them like this. <laughs> I'd just come back from injury. So I had to prove myself to the coaching staff at Yorkshire that were watching. I also was bowling at South Africa. So I wanted to, to impress. And I had a brand new white um, Duke ball in my hand that swung around corners. So I had a wall that was swinging, I had a green seam in heading lift, and I had batters <laughs> that were pissed. And I looked okay. <laughs> and the, the assistant coach in South Africa at the time was called Corey Van Sen. Yep. And Corey said to me, well, how do you fancy coming over as cover for free state? We've got a few bowlers that might be away or, and one's injured and do you want to come over as cover and come to free state? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I went over to um, Free State to play club cricket. Or oh, I thought I was going over to play club cricket for the Peshwas, which is the university's second team. Not even the first team, the university's second team as a player coach and just getting a with um, the then um, Hansi Cronier's father, um, who was the coach. And he said, I'll pick you up. So I got picked up by Corey from the airport. He dropped me off into the boarding houses where I was staying. He said, I'll pick you up tomorrow um, and get you down to, to where we're practicing. So I picked my bags up, went down, and we drove into to, to the stadium. I was up in the lift at this stadium thinking, wow, these club practices are all right, aren't they? We get to change, get to change, to change at the stadium and practice at the stadium. And I can remember walking in through the changing room and the first person I saw was Hansi Cronje sat wow. on the thing and said, right, meet, meet your captain. <laughs> I answered. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you can go change in the corner over there next to Alan. So I went over and sat down next to Alan Dong. Who wow. was my opening bowler? I think, what the fuck? <laughs> we had Nicky Boye <laughs> in the other wow. in another corner. We had um, Gerhardus Liedenberg, who just happened to be my first first class wicket when he came over South Africa A to Yorkshire. So oh, I had wow. to tell him. Um, we had Corsi, <laughs> we had Corsi Fenter, Louis Wilkinson, Butter Dippenau. Um We had a, a fantastic array of players, and then me. And I was so not known, so not anywhere near out of my depth again because I was nowhere near ready to play in a first-class team as a, as a local, let alone an overseas professional. And I was so well not known that on my first game for Free State, I played with Hoggart on my back. Amazing. I didn't even spell my name correctly. I had a T at the end of my name. And... It was a, 
an absolute honour and a privilege to play in such a team. But again, I had to start swimming as soon as I got there because I was completely out of my depth as a as a nineteen year old. 20-year-old that didn't have a clue what cricket was all about, was now an overseas professional in a non-English-speaking team. The saving grace is that the coach of the Free State was um, Andrew Moles, who was a Yorkshire batsman, I mean, a Warwickshire batsman, and he was English. So everything was conducted in in English because we had an English coach and everybody... And all the social functions always used to start off in Afrikaans. And then you know, it'd take somebody saying, look, we've got some English guests here. Can we speak English so that the, the Poms can understand us? Um, so you, <laughs> they then spoke English for maybe half an hour until they'd had a few more trees and the brand of wine got into them and they started speaking Afrikaans again. So you had to sort of pick up a bit of the lingo to understand what was going on. Um, but it was it was an awesome time. And Alan Donald's wife um, is is English. She's from Warwickshire as well. She's Tina. Tina. So I spent a lot of time around her. AD's house, having brides, talking English with um, Tina and looking after their then kids who were just born. And it, they're, they're ancient now. And they're getting married. It's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, it was, a, it was a massive part of my career as a three-step. Yeah, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned that you were going around and having brides at people's houses and stuff. And, you know, having read a couple of your, your books and, and a couple of your articles, you mentioned that South Africa was the sort of, the birthplace of not Hoggy's Grill, but where you started to find, you know, cooking over an open flame and cooking over open coals. Is that is that really the inspiration? Yeah, I mean, when I was young, um, we used to get fed at half past five every every evening. As soon as the neighbors neighbors theme tune came on, we had the food <laughs> on the table, and we, we we had a family of five. My mum wasn't over generous with the portions, so at seven o'clock I was hungry again. Um, so I was allowed to go into the kitchen and make anything that I wanted as long as I left the things out to make sure that we replaced them so we still had them in the pantry or the fridge. Um, so I experimented around with flavours then. Um, and then going over to the fridge, and I love fire, uh, a bit of a pyromaniac, um, but to then go over to, to, to the likes of Joburg to Bloemfontein where everybody cooks over real wood with a Camilda and all the... Um, Roy, Roy Corns or the Mapani, you get then a flavour of the different woods as an ingredient, not just as a fuel source. You get introduced to drinking wood, which is a very important part of Brian, which, to, 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 to talk you through it, John, um, your Camille doing is really hard and it's more expensive. Um, because it's really dense, really it burns hot, leaves great embers to, to, to cook on. And then, so you only need a small stack of cooking wood. But right. you need a large, big stack of <laughs> soft wood. But it could be any wood because it doesn't really matter because you're just using them as flames. So when the girls come out because they've prepared the salad, because they're always in charge of the green stuff that nobody cares about, they come out yep. to see if we're ready to start cooking. And no, there's too many flames on the fire, we can't cook yet. So they turn the back and go and say, you put more drinking wood on the fire. So when the next come out, there's still flames and you can't cook. So you put, keep on dropping off the, the drinking wood until you're ready to cook. 
and then you put the real wood on before you start cooking. So it's a, it's a quite a, and then the tongue master, everybody's house is there in charge of the fire and the tongues. Not allowed to touch anybody else's fire, not allowed to touch the tongs, not allowed to criticise on the meat flying thing because the tongue master's in charge. There's a whole etiquette in South Africa wow. about the braai and the tongs and the flames and the, the fear. Um, and it's just a, a a whole new experience. There's so much more... Um, more experienced in the the bride place than the, the the English, and there's so much more. I, I I hate to use South African culture in the same sentence, but they've got a better culture around the open fire than the English. Possibly to do with the weather, you think? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, uh, the the weather the weather does help, and the the meat they get over there is absolutely sensational. Yeah. So not not only just the beef, but the the eel and everything else that you, you cook on there, the ostrich, it is fantastic. I've eaten some amazing things out in South Africa, like kudu and uh, all, all yeah. sorts of different bits and pieces. You know, we went on a um, an amazing three day safari uh, up north of Durban um, when we were there last Christmas, and it was just the the food and the produce and everything was just out of this world. Like it's just a different lifestyle isn't it because you know there's no yeah. it's, it's not pumped full of water to make the weight up in order to for supermarkets to make more money it is like butchered properly and then it's sold that you know and, and yeah. you wonder by these these south african lads are all six foot four and strapping <laughs> massive strong lads and you know so so i lived i lived in free state which is borough county which is farming ca- county and yeah. they, they were absolutely huge specimens of people and they weren't happy until they went out for a couple of beers and a fight there's nothing yeah, else yeah, to yeah. do in, in free state so it was it was quite a, a rough and ready place at the, at the time but it, i got introduced to um the greeks early on on my stop in um in bumfontein and uh, little john just turned around to me and said hoggy if you ever have a problem in bumfontein just let me know and it'll disappear. And I mean, disappear. disappear. Uh, that's, that's great, Tina. <laughs> so I didn't see any of it myself, but yeah, there was, um, it was, it, it was a quite a, quite a, it was a safe place to, to go because it was just fists and fighting. Yeah. Um, there, there wasn't any gun crime. There wasn't really, it was just a, you get a fat lip, a black eye. Um, but it was a, it was a rugby town as well. So the free state cheetahs ground backed onto the, to the um the cricket ground and uh, the zoo then was uh, the other side of the cricket ground so you run into right. the sound of the lions roaring <laughs> it was brilliant <laughs> yeah it is it is a great country and highly recommend people go and visit it if they haven't been so i'll be fast forwarding fast forwarding a little bit to 2004 and something quite impressive happened in 2004 in my opinion um something i've never done so you were the 34th person to take a hat trick in test cricket and um, I read, I read how you went about it. Um, do you want to share with the listeners a little bit about that story as to the way it went? Yeah, obviously we were we were all over the West Indies at the time. Um, I think it's the first time we'd beaten the West Indies uh, in the West Indies for thirty odd years. Uh, Steve Amerson had bowled a spell, or was going to bowl, but seven for twelve. That was an amazing spell. Um, but yeah, Barbados. Um, 
brought it up to ball. Um, we, we had um, Ramnosh Sawan on strike. I bowled him a wide half volley, and he was a bit lazy, threw his hands at it and snicked it to gully. And I thought, yeah, crap shot, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I'm on the board. And then in walked Shivnarayan Chanderpool, the walking crab, was in great form, batted so well, and came in. I thought, like, left-handers, they're my game. Swing it back into him. Bold LBW. Um, I'm in the game. And so I, I tried to get an LBW or bold, which exactly I did. Went down, swung nicely back in. Hit him in front, the middle of the leg. Um, Daryl Hare. Was it Daryl Hare? I think it was Daryl Hare. Gave him out. Massive appeal. LBW, brilliant. And then in what the inexperienced Ryan Hines. Another left-hander. I thought, brilliant. Or a better person, a nervous young batsman, walking to the crease from a hat-trick ball, left-hander, piece of piss, swing it back in, getting bowled, LBW. So all the crowd is singing, bar my army's going, my heart's coming out of my chest. How many times have you been on hat-trick? You've never got one. Right, swing it back in, getting LBW. So I've run in. Running too fast, swung my left arm out of the way, fell over, pushed it across him. So I was trying to bowl it back in. Ryan Hines is thinking, right, he's going to get me out LBW or bowl there, so I'm not going to get my pad in the way. I'm just going to block it with my bat. And he went across him. He chased it a little bit with his hand, snicked it to second slip. So everybody thought it was going in, even me. And I pushed it across <laughs> him, snicked it, and... Andrew Fintoff caught, caught a catch at second split. It was, and um, the crowd went wild. Um, they broke the fence down at the boundary. Um, so many people have come up to me and said, I was at Bayer Bedus, but I missed, missed the hat trick. I was either at the toilet or in the bar for the queue, the queue for the bar, even. Strong stuff, is this stuff? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was an amazing feeling. Hat trick at Test Match Cricket, what, what a way to do it. Barbados. Incredible. I can't remember the night though because I had a few too many. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think Freddie did as well. Was that the night of the the That was that was a few few weeks later. Oh, that was a few years <laughs> after, wasn't it? I mean, yes. look, we can't we can't not talk about two thousand and five. I mean, to have been a part of that. Obviously, we had Simon Jones on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what an experience that must have been. To you know, I mean, Jonesy referred to them as. To, to have beaten the best team that he thinks still to this day has ever played the game. You know, that Australian side were incredible, weren't they? But, I mean, that, that, yeah. you, what you guys achieved, I think, allowed Englishmen to believe in English cricket again. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the, the thing you want to do, what you want to leave a legacy it is something that every team wants to do is to leave a legacy. I still get stopped in the street and thanked by middle-aged to older-aged men saying thank you for 2005 and from sort of like 20-year-olds saying where the reason we got into cricket was just a yeah, yeah. Now, that to me is better than any 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 results is to, to get the nation talking about cricket, inspire a generation to get into cricket. And that that is what that 2005 series did. Um, and... I'm not going to disagree with Simon, um, not that he's always right, but I don't think you can compare eras that easily. Um, so the great side of the West Indies to the Australian yeah, side, yeah. you can't really compare them because they're different eras, but I will say that they were the best 
in the the nineties and the early two thousands, I think the the Australians were leaps and bounds above any team in the world at that time. Not used to losing. Uh, we'd had a fantastic 2004, and we had a nucleus of the side that stayed together. We had not lost in 2004, and to come, we'd beaten South Africa away, which was was rather difficult. Um, but we came, as I say, against Australia, who were the best team, and the series that that, that panned out and played out was epic. Um, yeah. People that have watched a lot more cricket than I have and there's a lot more experience said it's one of the best, if not the best series that has mm. been played. It wasn't yeah. just one-sided. There was ebbs and flows in <coughs> every game, apart from maybe one. Um, but then <clears throat> even the sessions, there, were, there was nuances in each, in each session. The, it kept people gripped, it kept people encapsulated, it kept people guessing where the test series was going. And that yeah. happened in every single game. And that is why it was such a fantastic series. Not just because we beat the Aussie Bastards, but it just encapsulated the nation. I think the, um, and, and nothing will prove that point as better than Edge Bastards. You know, that yeah. one that goes out to, I, I can't remember who's fielding at square cover, when, because Vaughan, when I think it was Casper, Might have been Jilo. Yeah, and, and oh, okay, shit, the game's gone here. Yeah? Yeah, and then, uh, you know, then he's gone for one, and then all of a sudden what happens, happens. Like, yeah. um, I think, to, to come back to you kind of a bit more personally, I think people always, some people may think of you as like a, you know, honest Yorkshireman, workhorse-style bowler. Well, well, well but, where are you going with this? Well, no, I, I want to change people's perception here. Because <laughs> well, I'm not honest. You... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But almost 30% of your test wickets were against batters who had an average of over 45. And that's I opened the ball with. <laughs> I've got a chance. I opened the ball with a hard ball. I swung it a bit. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. But, um, I, I, I got quite, quite a good batsman out. The the not so good batsman just twatted me everywhere. The good batsman didn't know whether to hit me for fours or sixes, and they got a little bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I picked them up. But yeah, I think the stats are, you can make stats say whatever you like. But when when you get to the the BBC to to do the the survey and they give batsmen points for how many runs are scored in averages, yeah, and yeah. you come out on top of that, then that that. It's brilliant, and it's a, it's a nice thing to say, but you then need to have a look at it. how many of them wickets changed games, how many of them wickets won, won matches, how did you go in... It doesn't matter that you get five for in a losing cause, that the game's dead, and yeah. it's yeah. The, the importance of the wickets and when you take them that you, you need to really look at, which is quite a difficult way of doing well, when you say about that, so 2005 in Joburg, obviously, you, you, you know the area quite well. I haven't spent some time there. 12 wickets <laughs> to win that fourth test to secure the series victory. I mean, that must be another massive highlight on the CV. Oh, massive. Because, again, of all the contacts I've got in Joburg in South Africa, it was lovely for the people up there just to take the, take the piss. Um, but at the ball ring, which is what the Wanderers is called, I'd never bowled well. I'd played there for free state, bowled like a bag of spanners. I'd played there for, um, for the Pirates, bowled like a bag of spanners. 
I played the first the first um, innings. I bowled like a bogus. I got five for hundred and twenty. I think got spanked all around the park. Um, and I wanted to make an amends in the second innings. And I remember Graham Smith smacking his head on the um, on a cool box in warm up, and he went missing. He went AWOL. And some days you can bowl like a, a god and not get any wickets. You play a miss or the catches go down, you don't get anywhere. And other days you bowl like a sack of shit and you get wickets. Uh, the second innings, I actually bowled really well and everything seemed to take an edge and get caught or get the decision with the LBs. And to, I think I got the first five or six wickets. Um, nice. to, to, to go with, and I remember Jack Rudolph. Uh, so he played for Yorkshire. Um, yeah, yeah. Jack Rudolph came out. And I can remember bowling him, and there was only one stump left up. So <laughs> then, when I played for Leicester, every time we played Jack, because he came round, I kept on blowing the image up and putting it in the way changing rooms. But yeah, I mean, and. Uh, the the ball that really did it for me and that that's that that spell was Jack Callis, who came yeah, in number yeah. three. He, he he played the, an immaculate forward defensive. He didn't follow the ball. He didn't do anything. He played the line of the ball. Played played with club hands close to his body, and he took the outside edge. And it went to Trescothic at first slip. Garrett Jones had dived across him, and I thought he'd spilled it, but he'd missed it, and it gone to Tres, and the, so we. It, that that wicket there to get their best batsman out first ball of that really give us the emphasis and the impetus yeah. to, to, to yeah, go on and, and win that game. Amazing. <laughs> but, Jack Hallis is one of the all-time greats, isn't he? You know, not only with it, you know, yeah, 80 it, it, on mile an hour, as well as being a, one of the best number threes of games ever seen. Massively. I think he's so underrated. You mm. cannot speak highly enough of Jack Callis. He caught pigeons in slips. He, he bowled high eighties. <laughs> he yeah, took yeah. over two. Did he take over three hundred wickets? He was yeah, high two hundred, yeah. yeah. and he's averaged into the fifties. It was an awesome, awesome cricketer, the cricketer of the generation. But nobody really puts him up there. He was super. You know, Hoggy, um, you, you released a book called Hoggy, Welcome to My World. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, it is available in all popular bookstores. You know, Christmas is around the corner. So, Bar- so highly recommend. Bargain bins, bargain bins. <laughs> 20p, 20p um, in all bargain bins. <laughs> <laughs> but but on a serious note, I mean, you, you mentioned something that, that's quite close to our hearts in, in terms of mental health. And you, you, you mentioned that you went through a bout of, um, of depression in 2008 when you toured New Zealand. You know, do you want to talk us through how, how that sort of happens in cricket and, and what you did to get out of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was so so. We we'd had problems conceiving our our child. Um, so there was a lot of an emotion with our round Ernie being born. Um, I went out to New Zealand. Ernie was six months old, I think. And Sarah and I were going through a a bad patch. Um, and Sarah got to the airport, was coming out with her parents, and had a a breakdown and said, I'm not going to New Zealand. I'm not going, I'm not taking Ernie all the way over there and was refusing to get on the plane. She was forced to get onto the plane. Um, we got to New Zealand and things weren't very good. Um, all Sarah wanted to do was go home. Uh, as soon as she got there, she wanted me to pick her up and take her home. And I said, no, I can't. We're in the middle of a tour. Um, I can remember then 
being dropped at, well, in Wellington, I turned around to, to Michael Vaughan. Um, I'd had a massive bust up with, with Sarah the night before. Um, we were playing cricket. In the middle of a test match, I turned to my captain, Michael Vaughan, and said, look, I'm, I'm doing a Trez. I know that's not the politically right thing to say, but Trez had, had gone home. I said, all I want to do right now is sit at the end of my run-up and sit down and cry. I am nowhere near I'm on this pitch. I want the ground to swallow me up, and I, I just, I just can't cope. I can't handle it. I just... And the the feeling that I had is I can only describe it as when you're a little kid and when my dad had the football and he kept on turning his back on me and I couldn't get the football. And the only way I could get it was I was to kick him and sit down and cry or yeah. burst into tears. And that yeah. is the exact same feeling I had on the middle of a cricket match in the middle of a test match just to sit down and cry. I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do except to burst into tears in the middle of a game. Um, so surprisingly, I was dropped for the next one. Um, so I didn't get selected for the test match. <clears throat> not not unsurprisingly. Uh, Harvey and I got dropped for um, Anderson and Broad. And Sarah then said, right, you've been dropped. Can we go home? And the biggest mistake that I made is say no. If I go home now, it's like I'm running away and I'm taking my bat and ball home because I've been dropped. And yeah. I wanted to stay and fight for my place in the side rather than picking up my loved ones and going home. And that is still the biggest mistake I made in, in my career is not looking after my family first. And I stayed in New Zealand. Um, I fought for my place. And... Obviously, didn't happen, and uh, we we were then got back home. Um, the coach captain knew exactly what I was going through, and I'd spoken openly to to the coach at the time. And the management knew, and not one person came to see me or phone me up to see how I was when I got home. I was then playing for Yorkshire, and I was absolutely nowhere near a cricket pitch. I was on it physically, but mentally I was absolutely nowhere near that game. I was lucky enough that I could get through it because of, of the skill level, but mentally I was absolutely nowhere near a cricket pitch. And nobody asked me how I was, came up to me, and it, it got worse. I was disruptive at Yorkshire. I was, I was not on the pitch. I was saying things to people that wasn't... Really, that what I shouldn't really have been saying. I wasn't doing the right things in training. Um, I got overlooked for the first test match um, of the year again. Yep. Went down to to Lords. Didn't get an explanation. Didn't get asked how I was, what I was doing. Went back to to Durham. Um, um, uh, didn't play at Durham. Or well, played the second half of those, and that was the year that um, Patterson got picked at Headingley. And again. No communication, and I was in a bad place personally um, with what was going on at home. I was in a bad way being dropped by England. I didn't feel like I could speak to anybody or had anybody to speak to um, because yep. you're, I've got a reputation of being big, bold, brash, everything else. Um, it's a weakness, isn't it, that, to admit that you're struggling, to admit there was something wrong. And... I didn't have anyone to turn to. I didn't have anyone to talk yeah. to. And nobody came up to me and asked me, Hoggy, are you okay? 
Um, and I didn't realize how bad I was in, in, in the Yorkshire changing room. Uh, and nobody turned around and said, Hoggy, you've been an absolute dick. Um, you need to either pull your stocks up or take take some time off. Um, I got dropped by Yorkshire at times. Uh, it was I, I was in a mess. And I it it took a, a big open heart discussion and I, I said to, to my wife, I look, I'm on the I'm on I'm on my ass here. I'm laying on the floor and people are kicking me and I'm letting them and yeah. I don't care. I don't normally if if I was down on the floor and somebody kicked me, I'd get up and lamp them. But mm. I was on the floor, people I, I I just I just didn't care. I just didn't have the the enthusiasm or the the will to get up and fight back. And it was quite a, a horrible eighteen months. Um but I got out of the slump, got back into being me semi, um, yeah. got to being back to being a productive member of the Yorkshire squad. Um, I'd been offered a a three-year contract, uh, two-year contract at the start of the year. I said, no, I wanted a three-year. Um, to go into a, we'll sort it out at the end of the season, we'll give you two years. I then wanted to, because there was nobody else to be captain, I went and said, look, I'll, I'll be captain. Um, and I went from being offered a two-year contract to being taken into Yorkshire and saying, "Look, we're not we're not keeping you on." Wow. Um, so at the end of end of the season in September, they, they they told me that they weren't renewing my contract after the season had finished. Which, if you wow. look at the terms of your contract and everything else, you can't do. So I was now out of a contract at a season when most of the other counties had sorted out their their players for the next year. Yeah. So I then I then had a a time to go home as Sarah I'm out of a job. Um and so I then was went to the PCA and the PCA put me out as right Hoggy's looking for a new county. And we met up with a few uh, I met up with Leicester just to be a, a, a senior player in the changing room. And uh, on the way back, I was speaking to Tim Boone and David Smith. And on the way back to Yorkshire, we met halfway up the Moldaway. Um, uh, they phoned me up and said, we want you to come as captain. Wow. And I, I went home to speak to Sarah. And we then visited the counties that we were interested in. Um, and the, the idea of not just being a, a senior player and bowling overs and standing at fine leg, having a voice of what the team does and the way forward that the team goes was really, really pivotal, I think, to to getting me back on a cricket pitch. Um, yeah. So, hence, I, I went to Leicester and started, um, started being a, an average captain. Something that really... So, when, when Simon, a couple of weeks ago, was really, really open about some of the troubles that he had post-injury and saying that, obviously, he's always been close to you and, and maybe a couple of other lads. But it was really interesting, eh, Matt, to hear you say about, you know, no one, no one t- contacting you. You know, either, yeah. I don't know whether injury or, or mental well-being and, and people not being actually absolutely on their game is seen as some form of weakness at that level of elite sport, which obviously nowadays it'd probably be very different because there's such an awareness of it. And obviously, that you know, a lot of the, the, the cricket lads, Trez, Trotty, you know, watching the edge, KP yeah. talking about 
you know, there's there's a lot more people kind of now talking about the troubles, but it it, it really surprises me, and it, I I really find it sad and difficult that someone who's given a county as much as you gave Yorkshire, being a, a true Yorkshireman as you are, and you know, it was it's only what. 30 years ago that you to play for Yorkshire you had to have been born in Yorkshire like you know it is yeah. one of those counties where you think it's it's all about Yorkshire and to hear that people didn't support you whether they realized or not people say oh we didn't realize that's probably a bit of a cop out but to hear that you felt that you were down and people were kicking you rather than actually trying to help you get back on your feet I, <laughs> I, I think it's a really sad reflection yeah. on the way that things were going they were, were happening yeah but but again Professional sport is a very fickle place. You're only as good to a team if you are performing. To get the player to be in the best physical well-being, mental well-being, to to perform at the time for what you need is is what you need at that time. And I think the the physical, the, the mental side of things, as as you rightly pointed out, has been heightened. The and the awareness is, is a lot heightened now. Um, and the the tools to, to to help moderate and to help make sure that people in the in the right space is getting it's almost as important as the gym nowadays. Yeah. And you can see how the, the especially the England boys are saying right then they're not going to be on this tour because we need to rest them or they're coming out of the bubble to go see the family for the. Yeah. For, there's so much more awareness and it's not just a a a you perform at all costs it's about the human that, that's playing yeah. whereas, bef- whereas before it is a very fickle place is professional sport you're only as good to a to a team if you perform and that is one of the reasons why why you play it because it's so great when you are in that bubble and it is very hard to get to the level where you get to but yeah. it's so easy to to get out of that level and that is yeah. why I don't like vanilla vanilla sports because people have sweated blood, sweat, and tears to get to the level they are, and yeah. all this bland, horrible, boring vanilla white sport. I don't agree with you. People, there's a reason that they're the best in the game is because they have the drive, the ability, and the know how to get there. At least let them have a little bit of clash heads and a little bit yeah, of spice yeah. in the game, Absolutely. because that because that is what people want to watch. Nobody wants to watch a load of brown envelopes on a on a cricket. Uh, bad analogy, but bland against bland. But you know, they want to see the characters. They want to see the the emotion. They want to see something different and not yeah. something that is painted and regulated within an inch of its life. And that goes to all sports, not just cricket. It goes to all sports. I mean, rugby. You, you get the yellow card now for clearing out a rug the wrong way, and it's just it's just yeah, a yeah. sad. Uh, yes, you need to have player welfare and the safety of the players at the heart of it, but the the blandness of sport is. And people say there's no characters in sport anymore. It's because they're not allowed to be the 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 cameras, the microphones, the the the. Everybody's now a journalist. They've got a yeah, they've got a camera. They've got you can't be anywhere without being being on re- off record. Everybody can record and can be around the world in on social media within seconds. Seconds. I remember. So I, I find, and a lot of people don't like him, but Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira. There were times nearly killed each other before they'd walked yeah. out the tunnel, before they yeah. even thought about getting on the pitch. 
And I read something on Crick Info a couple of, or Crick Buzz or something a couple of days ago where people were saying, oh, the Australia India series, it's just a bit of a nothingness because they're, they're all our best mates because there's so many global franchise tournaments now that these yeah. guys don't, they're, they're all mates because they all play with each other in some guys across global cricket. And, it, and, and has it taken that, you know, Jeff Thompson, um, I, I lucky enough to meet him at Wormsley one day. What a belter of a bloke he is! But you know, he he wanted he to kill belter. David Lloyd when he was, you know, when he yeah. ran in and nearly knocked one of his bollocks off. He, he, you yeah. know, if he'd have had the chance to knock his head off, he would have done because that was sport and it was, you know, what you you, you win, right? When I think that, I think yeah. you're right. I think it has softened quite a lot, and whether that means sport is now less exciting because it doesn't have the edge to it and the the level of competitiveness is not. You know, people are getting yellow cards in football, like you say, rugby for clearing out a rook the wrong way. Hold mm. on, like you what you go back and watch that Leeds versus Chelsea FA Cup <laughs> semi final replay. Mm. I mean, there's guys going two footed at people's hips, and they're just yeah. not getting booked for it. And it, you know, and obviously that's one extreme to the other, but yeah. it, it does seem like a lot of it's been taken away. Yeah, I can remember. I, I read a tweet from David Flatman this week that a youngster come on and ruffled um, the other forward's hair. And they said, I'd penalise that. They can penalise it. He's ruffled the hair. You were punching people and then butting people in the rucks yeah, and molds. Exactly, and, yeah. penal- yeah. and the only reason he gets away with ruffling the hair is because they're not allowed to retaliate back. And I'm not saying that fighting on a rugby pitch is, is the right way or condoning it, but the, the, the self-policing and the self-governance of the game has gone out the window. And now it's all governed by the, by the ref. Um, yeah. The same with the stunt mic and everything. I think and as you see, right, the, the global the global um, franchises now everybody knows everybody else, and sometimes that can add to the spice. And then yeah. on the pitch, you've got you you can have the banter about getting one up on you on on a mate, um, but you, you're just not allowed to do it. I mean, snowflake. I know it's not a right terminology, but I I don't. I, Ernie, I've got my son is absolutely bulletproof. He can go to to school and people can say anything to him and he'll just laugh. He got right. threatened with he he got he got told off for calling somebody weird at school. Weird, yeah. not allowed to call somebody weird <laughs> anymore. And I think this is ridiculous. Yeah, but, yeah, oh no, the, the, the world the world's gone nuts. Um, you know, um, and you know. Uh, we we all contribute to to that in our own kind of strange little ways ourselves, I guess, don't we? Uh, <laughs> uh, right, Hoggy. So, Hoggy, Hoggy, Hoggy. I'm going to have to get my head around that. I've called you Hoggy for years, uh, and now I need to start calling you Hoggy. No, um, no, Hoggy's good. Hoggy will do. Um, so, as you know, um, it's now time for us to try and take some money off you. So, five questions. Yeah, obviously, because I'm an avid watcher of this podcast, I have <laughs> not missed a recording of it. So, uh, five I, I know what's happening more than you do. <laughs> um, two pound each. Huge is going to match your donation, and it all goes to the LT. He's got the solid answers. Well, yeah, no, but he doesn't have to answer them. It's based on what you say. <laughs> okay, so if I get them wrong, you just got to put a tenner in. Yeah. I'm not, because I'm, I'm just going to give wrong answers just so you have to put a tenner in. Cheers, mate. <laughs> uh, question one. <laughs> You hold a batting record at Trent Bridge for a ninth wicket partnership. Who was it with and how many runs was it for? Yeah, uh, but this is a two-part question, is it? That's freaking unfair, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for Craig White and a hundred and thirty. Oh, 103, oh. but it was Craig one. Oh. That's a great effort, <laughs> but it's still two quid. <laughs> um, 2005 Ashes, which bowler had the lowest bowling average across both sides? Oh, I'm going to go. Does it matter how many wickets they got? Nope. Nope. I'm going for Ricky Ponting. Right. <laughs> You've got it right. Yeah, I reckon you. Oh, no, no wonder you just gone. Oh, I'll go this week. I reckon. <laughs> I reckon. Hoggy, Hoggy's had the old email only with the answers. Right. I can. I can guarantee you it hasn't. But Question what a delivery three. to get Vaughny out. He only, he only bowled an handful of overs and got Vaughny out. Didn't he? It, he just bowled little outwithers, didn't he? It was beautiful. Seventy odd mile an hour, pitched and left him. Vaughny's feet in a piss pot. Yeah, I slipped it off. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I, I imagine Punter loved that as well. Uh, question three How many matches did you play first class? Or, well, oh, yeah. any professional matches? Do I, do, 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 I, do I get a leeway on this, or does it have to be exact? Uh, within five. First class matches 723. 479. Fair enough. <laughs> um, which is still a hell of a turnout, in fairness. Um, I got a scuba Question four. Wisdom Cricketer of the Year 2006. Who were the other four? Not a scuba. Okay. Uh, Brett Lee. Yeah. KP. Punter. Yeah. And Simon Jones. Thanks, Steve. Good, good, good company. I was going to say, Absolutely. good company, uh, definitely. Yeah, de- decent, mm. yeah. Uh, so that's that's uh, three so far. And then, oh, here we go. I, see, I haven't, I haven't uh, read these questions. I haven't signed them off, which I should have done, because he's... Um, what is the correct name when you cook meat on fire of hot coals, or hot coals? Mother Bryce Lace. Uh, now I'm confuzzled, completely confuzzled. Uh, Eugene obviously wanted you to say Bry because he's South African. But, I mean, surely it's a barbecue, right? Well, barbecue is a a, a generic name for a grill, isn't it? And, and well, okay. So, see, I feel like, no, huge. I'm not surprised that you said, no, I'll match him today, because you've just shoved him another easy one. So that's two he's got (laughs) right now, saying, Brian. Yeah. Well, tats, you know, you've got to pick your players, Johnny. Right. (laughs) Horses for courses, eh? Three yeah, out of absolutely. five. I think. I think that's the joint joint leader. Absolutely. Um, I think that. Yeah. Oh. So, so you've done pretty well then, mate. Eh? So six. I'm that. I'm that double-edged freaking question. I had to answer Wait. two questions in one. I in got one. Like, half the question <laughs> right. Half the question. Yeah, but we give you we, we give you full marks for it though. So. Well, you did. You said it's two quid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> uh, guys, it's just uh, we just want to say again, thank you so much, Hoggy, for for coming on and taking the time. This is our Christmas Eve episode, so it's it's amazing to have a, a legend of the game and someone that. Well, all in that case, can I just take this opportunity to wish everybody a happy Christmas? Yes, you can. I hope, Do you know what? I, I forgot to buy my Christmas jumper. He did, and we need another big up for the big smoke, the Christmas Christmas drink, big smoke. Really happy with that. Oh, you've got a different can. What are you two drinking? 
I, I remember that. Oh, look at that. We're both thinking the same one. Ooh. This was not planned. Cool. I'm sure yeah, down there. See, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't get the, the dress code with the silly hats or the, <laughs> the, the can. <laughs> I feel let out. And I didn't it's get the heads up with the questions, UG. What's all that Sorry. about? <laughs> You'll have to come on again, Hoggy, and then we'll uh, yep. and, and then you can you can feed you the answers. But uh, Hoggy, good. thank you so much. Um, you know, it's no brilliant worries. to hear you talk. Thank you for being so open about obviously that, that time in New Zealand as well. That I think will be, uh, you know, something that I certainly didn't know. Uh, and being a bit of a badger, I probably would have expected to. So there'll be a lot of people that will, will, will know more about that. Um, and so that's really helpful. Um, guys, check out Hoggy's Grill. Uh, it's an amazing place. Once people are allowed to travel and move, you get to go and visit an England legend and have him cook for you. Whoa, 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 sweet child of mine. <laughs> I don't cook for them. They cook for themselves. They're upskilling themselves so they can learn how to get their best ah. out of their grill. So that when they go home, they've got more skill to produce lovely friends for their fans and family. I ain't cooking for them. They're cooking for themselves, mate. It's called a grill school because people come to learn. I thought that people had the opportunity to have an England and celebrity master chef legend cook for them. But you, no. you, you, you get them to cook for you, is what you're saying. I don't eat. No, they cook for themselves. Oh, Hoggy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as always, my dear friend. Uh, happy Christmas, no everybody. Um, Merry Christmas. A, a wonderful time with Sarah and Ernie. Looking for a new cricket equipment partner for yourself or your club can sometimes be tricky. With so many options to choose from, how do you make the right choice? When you want quality, value and service, there really is only one place to start. For more than a decade, Woodstock Cricket have been producing award-winning, high-performance cricket bats from their Shropshire workshop. Matched with their classy soft goods, luggage and accessories, Woodstock Cricket really do tick all the boxes. Get in touch with Woodstock Cricket and find out why many loyal clubs, players and international customers can't be wrong at info at woodstockcricket.co.uk. Right, so thank you very much to our uh, other partners, Woodstock Cricket, for their continued support. And uh, obviously, they have been very forthcoming in terms of offering prizes for different bits and pieces. Um, so, yes, uh, Hoggy, Jen, uh, I mean, great interview. Um, he's mad as a box of frogs, isn't he? Bless him. Like, I, I, I love him. Like, you know, but when it, you know exactly what you're going to get from him whether you're in person with him or whether you're talking to him. Um, he, he's like a March air, isn't he? But he's what a fantastic bloke. To, and, and thank you so much again to, to Matt for, for giving us his time. The man, the myth, the legend. What an interview. I didn't know which way it was going to go. Um, we, were, <laughs> we were obviously going down some routes and then all of a sudden he just decided to go off on a tangent. His dog got involved. Yeah. What, what, you know. <laughs> yeah. What an absolute legend, yeah. Um, I, I, one, one of the most enjoyable ones I've had. And again, you know, so two things that I, I think were really important. One, fire. And two, obviously, him, him sharing his, his story. You know, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Two, two, great, two great stories from my point of view. I think on that, uh, just before Sai comes in on it, um, you know, it, you say one that we've, one of the most enjoyable ones. I, you know, 
I think we've been incredibly lucky, haven't we, with everybody that, you know, we've just enjoyed all of them it's so much. It, it's kind of difficult to rank them and I wouldn't even try. Like, you know, the, the opportunity to have some of the, um, to talk to some of the people that we have. Obviously, they were doing these Instagram lives on a Friday night, the Big Smoke, Big, Smoke, Big Night In, which is amazing. We've got some even more pros and other people coming and talk to us, which is great. Um, the next one of those will be on Boxing Day, by the way. Tune in for that at 8 o'clock. Uh, we will be talking to a, a number of people, which would be great, including Joshua De Silva, uh, who recently made his debut for the West Indies in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, you know, Hoggy being open, and I did not, I had no idea, and this is obviously a book, which got me in a load of trouble while we were doing the interview. Thanks for that, Eugene. Pleasure. Um, but, you know, the, the fact that, um, you know, whilst in New Zealand, him and Sarah, you know, it really, really went through the mill a little bit, didn't they? And, you know, he then wasn't picked. And then obviously everything happened when he came back. But, you know, I didn't know any of that. So I, I just found it so amazing and refreshing that people are now beginning to see and understand what it is that we do and are willing with three blokes that they've either met very few times or never at all in some cases, be that open with us because they absolutely believe in, in the message that Sloggin is trying to provide. Yeah, I mean, it's t t him, Simon Jones, Luke Sutton, the honesty we've received has been um, incredible, to be honest. But I think it's it's a sign that things are getting better. It's a sign that things are moving in the right direction and, and the more people that keep banging the drum to keep it going in the right direction, the better we're going to be and the more we can yeah. make it. So we talk about, I mean, the, the, the couple of things that stood out for me in the interview, obviously I wasn't involved, I've listened to it earlier, was I, I can remember meeting Matthew Ogden for the very first time and he was completely naked on a physio's bed at, in Lords as I've walked in and he's just gone, oh, and I've gone, oh, sorry. And he's gone, don't worry, it's just a big ass on the bed. And I was just, everyone was just crying and, and laughing and joking and he was saying there, and, and I, I was just like, I don't quite know how to deal with this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is what it is. And, and he was incredible. And he touched on that in, in the interview about that his personality and that he couldn't he wasn't sure how um when he did have start having a few troubles that how he to broach it and how to think and he, and he even spoke to people at the time he spoke to michael vaughan and, and whatever but it didn't seem to get the right message across and it didn't seem to lead to the right kind of help at the mm. time that he needed so um i think that's changed i think i mean we can all be pretty confident that in and around certainly international cricket, there's there is more help for people and this burnout and um, when people do start going through problems. I mean to the point now like we've talked about Viracoli, like that that thing of someone missing the birth of their child in their eighties and nineties and even the noughties with people didn't do that. If you're away on tour, you're yeah. away on tour. Sorry, wife, I play cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now it's changing and if people are going through troubles we've seen the stuff with ben stokes and significant issues that, that, that's going off and people do get help yeah they do get told to send home so it, again he was it, thank you so much to him for being on believe me honest and but I, I thought i was amazed by the things that he said and the stuff to do with um barbecue and fries and stuff was insightful for me Quite well you've fun. got a theory on this don't you simon um, I have a little bit of a one, yeah. And I've been, I spent some time living in Australia, and they obviously the Barbie, which is a yeah. dog that's accompanied by Ken in my book. But anyway, 
the only thing I will say about that is when the Barbies I've had in Australia were cooked on like a metal hot plate with gas heaters underneath. Mm. The bra I've been fortunate to go to South Africa a couple of times and had a couple of bras, and that's always cooked on wood over open over wood but with like a griddle on top. And then the barbecue that you have over in the UK is traditionally cooked on coal, but now mostly gas, again, with that brittle. So I think we're starting to find, I mean, as well as, as finding out some issues with the difference in, in people, mental troubles and stuff, but also, I mean, this is we, we might be able to claim this as some kind of cooking show quite soon and educate people in the difference that for has long been sort of unknown. Yeah, and if anybody's still with us after that, um, then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will be. Uh, hang on, hang on. I, I quite oh, enjoyed that. Yeah, that was very myself, educational. But... Thank you. I learned yeah. something there. I only le heard Brian, yeah? but I learned something. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Um, so the three of us will at some point be going to see Hoggy at Hoggy's Grill, which is based up in Rutland, uh, kind of in Leicestershire way. Um, he does amazing, like really cool stuff for team building. He can do. Um, teach you to cook across you know number of different grills and number of different woods and that kind of stuff um is it i find it really interesting he was talking to us about a um the grill um <laughs> that's not on the he, list. Uh, he was talking to us about oh hang on i need to talk about this again next week now then. i need to talk about this again this week now because i've got a grill on so i've got barbecue bry barbie and grill Right, you've right. just made sure that no one's going to tune in at all next week. <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to increase listeners, not lose them. Um, the, uh, I found it quite interesting. He was talking about cooking wood and drinking wood, uh, which is quite a which is quite Great a nice, story. Uh, little anecdote. Um, so, yeah, but check out Hoggy's Grill. Look, if you're a cricket lover, as most people will be uh, listening to this, then you know you, there's an opportunity there to go and engage with one of your cricketing heroes. Uh, one of the greatest England bowlers ever um, by, by going and, and checking him out out there. So, um, yeah, thanks again to, to Matthew Hoggard. Um, the, I, I, just before we go, and, uh, you know, this, I want to bring this back to why we do this. I, I put a, uh, an Instagram post out yesterday, the 21st, uh, about something that I saw uh, whilst walking the dog the other day. So there's a, there's a woods local to me um, and there's two car parks, one at either end, I park in one, get around, you know, whatever, walk right around the outside. And uh, I, I saw this car and it had like sheets over it and there was a, a police car and an ambulance. And uh, it very quickly became apparent that, you know, someone, um, I, I could, I, somewhat hopefully, you know, it was no more than that. It's a shame that it happened to even this one person, but this one person found 2020 too much for them and it decided to, um, to that they couldn't go on. And it, it, I just stood there, you know, the dog looking up at me like, what's, why are we moving? Uh, for five minutes, just, just thinking about it and, and how, you know, this year has been incredibly difficult for a huge amount of people. And, um, I, I just then started thinking about the positive messaging that we're trying to bring to, to people through this and the understanding that, you know, that isn't the, you know, there are other options that, you know, talk, talk to people. I can't stress enough how important it is for people to talk to people, to try and get support. We're going to be doing quite a lot of work with the Samaritans moving forward. Um, more to come on that in, in the new year, but we'll be kind of talking to them about the work they do and how they can help people. But, just you know look after each other talk to each other 
you know, love each other. It can make it, it literally can make the biggest difference. Um, so don't don't think, oh well, I'm sure they're okay. Like if you're a tiny, even the tiniest bit worried about someone at this time, you know, Christmas is a time for joy, not pain. Um, and as pain, you know, as difficult as it is this year with lockdown and people not being able to see each other, even more of an excuse to phone people who you think might be struggling, even a small little bit, to to make sure that they do feel valued and, and do feel loved and, and wanted by their friends and family. So um, I just wanted to say that, I, you know, that it's something that's so close to the heart of the three of us and, and, and is the main reason for doing this. It's not just about talking to famous cricketers. It's about ensuring that people, you know, really understand that help is available no matter how bad things seem. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I don't know what you two think, but I, sorry, I, I've kind of, you know, I, I just felt like I really had to mention that. I think you're absolutely right, mate. It's <laughs> and, and it's sad that these things still happen in the world, and it's we can only we we do what we can to try and make sure that you can literally save someone's life, and that's the deaf thing. We don't. You can literally everyone thinks well how can i make a difference all this kind of stuff just by talking to someone who you think mm. might be struggling you can literally save their life and and you might never know you you, no. you, you probably will never know like if you say something nope. to someone that changes the course of their potential action they will probably never tell you but like nope. i said with the ben stokes thing the other day like it's better to say something and never be thanked than to never say anything at all and that's 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 critical. Like that, people yeah. understand that. Like, but you look at the hoggy thing. You look at the oh, one person ringing it. Yeah, it, it, you said in that not one person rang. It. Yeah, one person rings him, and a whole heap of issues might never have happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, you don't know. They might have done, but they might not have. So, what's the worst that can happen from you asking someone? This is always the thing I say. Like, are you okay? Is there anything we can do? Yeah. Do you want to go for a pint? Like literally anything that just you don't know what it might achieve. Yeah. And yeah. that's but that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Better to better to do it than not. That that's that's my Absolutely. Angle on it. Um yeah. you know, yeah. um you you never as I say, you might never get gratitude for it, you never may you may never be made aware that you've made a difference, but you know, there are, if everybody who listens to this podcast reaches out to three or four people and has three or four conversations, someone will be positively affected by it. Not that they were at that point, but it, you will make people feel better by knowing that you value them enough to reach out and make sure that they're doing okay. in what's a pretty tough time for everybody. Yeah. Um, any of our friends in London, um, obviously, I've moved away from London. I, you know, I, I feel pretty—not not guilty, but I, I, I'm, I'm struggling for my mates in London at the minute. Obviously, Eugene, you being one of them, it's an incredibly tough time for everybody down there. Um, you know, just do everybody do the best you can, and this is why it's really important that everybody kind of, you know, gets together and, it, you know, not in a physical sense, but you know, really kind of rallies around each other to make sure that you know this isn't a time for. Uh, for negativity, we try and remain as positive as, as we can for each other during this, you know, a pretty troubled time. But uh, Merry Christmas, um, obviously to you two. We'll talk. We we will talk tomorrow um, or before or before Christmas. Um, as you know, two of my best pals. Um, 
but yeah, everybody, thank you for your support so far. It really just means the, the world to the three of us. We hope uh, that we're making a, a little slight difference, whether that's talking to famous cricketers who you want to hear about, or whether it, you know there are other ways in which we're helping. Um, you know, we we we've taken great enjoyment from recording these. Um, you know, I think it's certainly strengthened the bonds between the three of us as friends because it, we're going through this together. Um, there's loads of exciting stuff to come out in, in 2021 that we will start announcing in 2021. Um, so some really cool stuff on the horizon for slogging it uh, and ways in which you guys can get involved with us. But for now, uh, I shall say again, Merry Christmas. Um, have a have a great break. Uh, love each other. Love your family. Love your friends and, and, and stay in touch. Merry Christmas, all. Have a good one. Merry Christmas, everyone.